Good afternoon, you lot. I hope you're good. hope you can hear me. As ever, points and prizes forever lets me know that the stream is working and is stable. I think we've sorted our internet out, so hopefully I'm not all blurred. Although some of you, because you're nasty, told me that you preferred me all blurred and pixelated, which is very mean of you. But anyway, I enjoyed that banter and I enjoy you. So thanks for joining and I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into this conversation today. We have Fiona Bloom. Oh, that's that's annoying. Look at that caption. I've got I've done a typo on her name. Well, that's rude. That's not a nice start, is it, for a, for a new guest? So let's sort that out. It's not Finona. That's not her name. That makes no sense. Right, let's go. There we go. I think that's tidied up. Now, Fiona's going to be joining us in a second to talk about a subject. Like, Can you think of all the years, of all the shows on this one, on Physio Matters, on everything we've ever done, we've not touched animal physiotherapy? And, uh, and I'm not sure why not, really. Uh, I think one of the reasons is we've not had um people we can trust and be confident in in that space and more recently we've had some conversations with ACPAT Fiona and her, her friends and colleagues and and uh, we've been really buoyed by uh, some of their approach to things and some of the ways in which we feel that we can promote their good work and so the start of that is for us to chat uh with Fiona about those sorts of things okay so I'm um, really looking forward to getting stuck into it please do if you're tuning in live get your questions and comments and and all sorts of stuff out there but I know what you lot are like with new guests and sometimes you're a bit reserved and then you, know, you might pipe up in the last few minutes and then I run out of time but I've got plenty of questions for it and so please do join me if you see fit but otherwise um, speak now or forever hold your peace you're gonna have to tolerate all my questions instead all right so let me hide let's hide my little frame for a second and hopefully bring you Fiona, Fiona, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. Um, could you start off, just tell me a little bit about yourself for the listeners, but also about ACPAT, if you could. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a chartered human physio by profession. You know, my first degree was in human physiotherapy, as are all members of ACPAT. So ACPAT stands for the Association of Chartered Physios in Animal Therapy. Um, so I graduated from the University of Hertfordshire back in 2007. Yeah, 2007. Uh, went and did all my core rotations in the NHS um, as a junior physio, then went on and got a senior post privately. But whilst I was um, doing my work in the NHS, I was sort of all the time um, doing my master's at the Royal Veterinary College in um, veterinary physio. So right. I was a veterinary physio in 2011. Um, and now I primarily work um, three days a week for myself, um, where I do a mixed practice of um, small and large animals, predominantly equine, so predominantly horses. But also right. because I'm a chartered physio, I can do the riders as well. So I look after sure. the riders. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of days a week, I work for a big referral practice um, doing small animals postoperatively. So, yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. That's one of the things that I. I've most interacted with um, veterinary physios in before is the horse and rat situation, yeah. and 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 sometimes doing some some specialist polytrauma stuff uh, from from yeah. major accidents, and then getting them back on the horse. Hopefully. Um, in fact, I, met, I once made a really awkward mistake thinking that someone was using that metaphor on a on a uh, on a referral letter, saying we could do with getting them back on the horse sometime soon, and they meant it literally. And so I felt a bit silly. That's a few years ago, but I feel that, that that's a really interesting balance, and I can imagine, especially for the folk that are um, horsey people uh, as, as a hobby, what a what a fascinating uh, profession to be able to get into. Sorry, balance of, of professional roles to get into. Um, just 
one of the things we're going to get stuck into is the kind of governance and differentials between then why being a chartered physiotherapist at baseline is 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 in good practice, best practice, and why ACPAT make that distinction and, and are proud of it. We'll get into that, but but firstly, I want to try and talk a little bit about because you're well placed to discuss it. The, the similarities and differences then between roles as a as a physio to humans and a physio to animals. So, um, just can, can you give me some of your general broad reflections on those things? Jay, there's a huge crossover. Obviously, the difference being, you know, humans are bipedal and, and the animals are in the main quadrupedal. Um, but there is a huge crossover. You know, when we're talking about getting uh, rehab, we go for function and then we add the form, right? So we we look at how we can get the animals back to walking and then we'll look about how to get them back to their specific sport. Um, all your things that you would look at in your human physio, proprioception, you know, dynamic and um, static stability, um, your building blocks, your strength, your range of movement, all of those things we cross over in, in the animals. But I think for us, it, uh, what's key is the assessment and the clinical reasoning. So whereas right. you know, we all know that some of the subjective assessments from human physios can be a little bit vague, but let me tell you, when you come to treat a horse, obviously <laughs> it's not a horse. So it's the owner or the trainer. And one of our um, sort of uh, key things that we'll get told is it's not quite right. OK, <laughs> that is our key. That's all you get. That's all you that's all you're getting. Something's amiss. Yeah, it's, amiss. Right. it's not quite right. Um, you know, so mm. kind of having worked with humans, you know, how far you have to delve into the subjective history and kind of which track you're going to go around. OK, so why is he not quite right? OK, well, he's he's started chipping at a fence maybe or he's not going well on one rein more than the other okay how long has he been doing that you know so you're building your assessment and having you know worked in human practice it's given us a real kind of good understanding of how you have to keep digging and again with the objective assessments you're looking at um you know we will always use outcome measures certainly um you know if you're getting a a, a little accident to stand up that's had spinal surgery you might look at your timed unsupported stand you know can it stand unsupported and if so how long for um you know so we can take those things across from our human practice and you know our palpation skills we've had the um you know we've had the, the benefit of being able to have human verbal feedback that actually we know what muscle tissue kind of should feel like because the animals in general are very very stoic you know, a lot of them, certainly the horses, they're flight animals. Um, you know, they're going to be as stoic as possible. They're not going to want to react as much. Um, or they might react a hell of a lot and kick you into next week, you know? Sure. You kind of have to be really aware of what you're feeling and, and how to do it, um, which our background in human physio has really given us a good edge, I think. Mm, no, that's good. And that's definitely, definitely something that... Um... I mean, there's some things that are just key differences that you'd have to be completely mad to miss, yeah. namely the communication. Yeah. Um, but also, and, and and the you know bipedal differential. But there's also you know, you don't have to think too hard about it to realise that how how daunting and how to go into that sort of totally afresh without the palpation skill, the sort of um, understanding and respect for 
communication that includes then of course using touch which is going to be much more important and we know as well with non-verbal patients be that with learning disabilities or other communication challenges then you know we, we know then that uh, it's a very privileged opportunity to to touch patients and, and we need to be respectful for that so therefore that that having that baseline i can imagine is an enormous head start how is the say anatomy physiology etc you know how how radically different is that um especially if we're talking about equine and and canine it's not hugely different to be honest you know yes there's there's a few um differences you know the the scapula glides over the rib cage kind of purely attached by muscles um but there's there's not a huge huge difference you might have um some hunting dogs for example which um are more more weight is shifted onto the front limbs whereas you know some of the other breeds may be kind of more likely to put weight through their their hind limbs Um, but in general the difference isn't isn't huge and I think you know yes of course you have to know your anatomy of course you do with anything but you need to know um kind of more how how things work really don't you and what what impact your treatment is going to affect on each structure um you know and knowing the difference between you know tone and strength which you know as human physios is, is clear to us um, especially, you know, when you've done your your neuro rotations, you know, as a junior, you know, feeling somebody with low tone or high tone is quite different, isn't it? But sometimes you can feel, as, as certainly as a junior, that maybe that's mistaken for somebody fighting against you and that's strength, um, whereas actually it's just real hypertonicity, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought of that where... Yeah, you, you need to. It's a long time since I've laid hands on and, and understood a proper the, the sort of cogwheel phenomena of spasticity or, or, or tonal changes, etc. But you, you know it when you see it. Whereas if that was something that was a fresh, um, then you, you know again you wouldn't uh, be recognising the neurological phenomena that that represents, etc. So so yeah, I can I can I can make sense of that. Um, we're having some feedback um, from a couple of places, really, including the text message that we've got some visual issues on certain platforms. Apologies if so. This is streamed across LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. If you're having a problem on there, if it's consistent across the board, let me know. That's unusual. That's never happened before. But apologies if if so. And hopefully you're getting the the audio. Um, the thing that really fascinates me is that you mentioned to me about you know, just you happened to say it then in passing about Dachans, and uh, that's something that we have had some feedback on from episodes we've done in humans about dyspathology and things. And it was mm-hmm. a fascinating thing for me to then hear from some of our listeners. Um, and it was also some I kicked myself for then not being able to take that further. I remember taking it to a friend, uh, an email to a friend of mine who's a vet and said, right, we're thinking of pursuing this and that veterinary rehab is something that seems to cross over in our world. And, um, and, and then it got me to talking to him about Dachshund discs and um, and that then it made me realise two things. One is that, of course, that's an interesting thing we, we could go off on a tangent about specifically. But more interesting for me is that different breeds of dog, especially, um, are going to be then uh, have have different predispositions on pathology mm-hmm. and their morphology being relevantly different. And then it, you can't help but weigh in on the sort of... Uh, the breeding rituals, etc., that can be then obviously weighs in on a on an ethical dilemma. So I just wanted to put those things in play and just get your thoughts then on that and and how how highly skilled that needs to make you uh, as you develop your veterinary physio skills. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dachshunds is one of the ones that we see hugely for intervertebral disc disease, but it's not the only kind of um, spinal mm. issue we see. You know, we see um, fibrocartilaginous embolisms, um, acute nucleus non-compressive um, ex extrusions, you know, and they tend to be in different types of breeds. You know, you might get an ANNPE if a dog's jumped up for a ball and landed funny. Um, right. You know, some of the brachycephalic dogs, so the dogs with the flatter faces, you know, they're more predisposed to um, breathing difficulties. Um, right. So there's all sorts of different, um, you know, pre predisposed conditions, as I say, that these dogs are, uh, do have. Um, I think kind of recognising what you know the early signs that in early clinical signs you know if you were called to go and see a dog who's not walking properly um or a, a vet referral for example of a dog that's not walking properly and actually by the time you see it you've got a proprioceptive deficit you need to know that it's got a proprioceptive deficit and be getting it straight to a neurologist fairly quickly because that's going right. to impact on its treatment um you know an appropriate diagnosis now in in veterinary physio we don't diagnose we would have a very good understanding of what was going on but we're not allowed to specifically diagnose the vets have to get right okay that's interesting but yeah i mean obviously if we've got a, a, a dachshund with a proprioceptive deficit um you know maybe a bit of lethargy that kind of thing you're uh, you know a deterioration in gait you're highly expecting it to have um some sort of disc issue um, but it needs to be sent to a neurologist fairly quickly. And, you know, you need to be confident in your clinical skills and your clinical findings um, to know where to signpost those people to and how quickly and how urgently. The same as if you saw, um, you know, a human patient with, you know, red flags for cordial equina, you, need to, you know, need to know that those are the red flags and you need to know that you need to act now rather sure. than oh, go back next week, see how you're getting on, that kind of thing. So, so that's really interesting. I didn't know that about diagnostics, and you said it with a bit of a wry grin, which tells me that therefore there's going to be there's almost like a the policies lagging behind the clinical skill of many therapists. I imagine a bit like you know yesteryear we had that with orthopedics, didn't we? Even within our own, until we had full independent autonomy. Is that something that therefore? It, it's just it's just behind that and that's likely to happen or is that sort of a, a, a policy and a distinction that even you would support and think that's probably going to last for a long time because that is a, a sensible safety mechanism what's your opinion on that oh i mean that's a difficult one because that leads into the uh, the sort of regulation of the whole of the profession which uh, tough we can go we can go no, there but yeah i wasn't planning it but yeah we'll, we'll yeah. go in there then but yeah just definitely definitely also just interested in your opinion and obviously feel yeah. free if that that doesn't need to be on the party line i'm not going to lump you in on, no. on on things with it but i mean i think the thing about um you know when you're working as a veterinary physio you are on your own so the majority of us are sole practitioners yeah. so you know it's quite good to have that safety net as a veterinary practice a, a veterinary surgeon as your diagnostic factor and have that um you know have that relationship with the vets that are referring to you and you're referring back to them because you've then got a safety net you know for your own professional practice absolutely um yeah. and you know when i work in your referral practice how amazing we've got vets radiographers to hand you know amazing nurses and it's a huge team and that's slightly different you've got two aspects but when you're out sort of in the community on your own you are literally a sole practitioner in general um, and to have that safety net is great, but I mean, it, it's fairly obvious some of the, the things we would find, um, but 
you know, diagnosis is confirmed by imagery and um, therefore that's why it's there. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you can also make sense of the fact that you've got to go clear. You, you, you're going to put more priority. Imaging will weight your clinical reasoning more in animals and humans as a broad rule because of the way in which you can't get that self-report, which can be yeah, probably you know, two thirds of it at least in, in most times with humans because they're able to report and give distinction to what their symptoms are and you're not having to rely on what, because otherwise you'd be having to rely on, if you had that, imagine, you know, you've got nonverbal, say, patient and you were therefore relying on clinical orthopedic tests, which we know are therefore got their obvious limitations. In those instances, you're going to be informed more by your imaging. And so in, in, yeah. in, in animals, you've got that as standard. So that's, that's a really interesting one. So you're quite right. It does then lead us naturally on to sort of governance and regulation and things like that. Mm -hmm. I want to put something in play, which I know when we first met, I mentioned, which is that I've been one of, of, of several voices that's made the, uh, made the challenge to the uh, what is a paper exercise or a title uh, that doesn't have enough of a distinction to it with regards to what it means to be a chartered physiotherapist in, in humans. You know, I've made the case in which, of course, it's something that in, in principle is a pleasant idea. But if you if if literally all you're doing is signing against the register and paying a fee and that there is to be chartered versus uncharted makes no difference. What was interesting to you speaking with you and your colleagues is that in this instance, that gives that actually gives a relevant assurance with regards to degree level qualification at, at bachelor's. And so, can you talk me through that? Um, and because I think it was, you know, it was very persuasive when I understood it better. Yeah. So, um, the way the charter works is you can't put anything between the word chartered and physiotherapist. So, mm. we can say we are ACPAT chartered physiotherapists, or we can say we are chartered physiotherapists who specialize in animals but we cannot yeah. say chartered veterinary physiotherapist now incidentally yeah. we did use that title for like 30 years but we've recently been stopped using it um yeah. and so you can basically prefix um the word physiotherapist with anything so you could call yourself tomorrow if you would like a veterinary physiotherapist because there's nobody right. stopping you sure but you can't just call yourself or you, you can obviously call yourself a physiotherapist. But, you know, my husband who works in construction can't call himself a physiotherapist. He has no idea. Mm -hmm. He, you know, wouldn't have a clue. But he could call himself a veterinary physiotherapist um, because there's no current kind of overseeing regulation. Now, if we're responsible, you know, and we're, we're head to account by the CSP and most of us are also, you know, still practicing with human work. So we also have the HCPC. Um, you know, register kind of regulating that we're, we're good people and, and doing our job to a professional standard. Um, recently, there has been, it's been a few years now, but there's a voluntary register, which is the Register of Animal Musculoskeletal Practitioners. So um, any musculoskeletal practitioner, osteo -chiro, physio can apply to join that um, from a veterinary point of view. Um, but it is a voluntary register. So you don't have to. So if you sure. wanted to go out and, you know, I've I've been called to a case personally by a vet um, where a a therapist who was not trained in the same uh, way I was had mm -hmm. um, treated a horse's neck, had, um, from what I can understand, manipulated it. It um, became um, a toxic neurological. They investigated because they thought it had sycamore poisoning and it was actually down to the technique that practitioner used. Now, had that been me, 
I would have been in a whole tub of hot water. But doesn't matter because they're not regulated. Is there what I mean? Talk, talk me through because I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. But how? So tell tell me. So I get that. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. I didn't mean to. I think we just have a bit of a lag there. So I didn't mean to talk over you, Fiona. But talk me through then. If that happened to you, say you carried out a manipulation like that, and then in this instance, there's as clear evidence of it being a, a sort of causal injury that they've sustained. Talk me through why you would be then in hot water with your regulator. What What's the mechanism there? So if a complaint was raised against me, first and foremost, they'd have somewhere to complain to. Okay. To the HCPC. So yeah, we've had um, animal practitioners who have been have had an incident with an animal that have the HCPC have been involved in. That, that's that's really interesting. So yeah, I didn't know I didn't know that. I can understand why, and it's I'm glad I'm, I'm glad of it. Really, you know, it's amazing how yeah. it's like anything. It, these are these are these are patients of which can't talk. The vulnerability, the safeguarding, for want yeah. of a better term, is is huge. So I'm pleased to hear that. I see what yeah. you mean. Therefore, if, if if someone is otherwise unregulated, then where yeah, where is there to go to? And then it becomes and, you know, a criminal you, issue where it's as if as if a, as if an assault on an animal, which then becomes a, a very difficult prayer. Yeah, and you you can complain to Ramp if the person is a member of Ramp, but again, it's a voluntary register. Of course, yeah. And yeah. you know, and, well, and, and also if you if you if you've got dubious practices, you've got you're incentivized to therefore keep yourself off the grid. Haven't yeah. you? Um, yeah. For sure. I mean, and there there is work going on. You know, the RCVS, the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, are looking into it um, to to try and regulate it more. Um, but it does um, sort of rely on people, you know, being upstanding and you know wanting best practice, um, which is what kind of as ACPA we we want to promote. We want to promote best practice. We want to promote gold standard. We want to prove that our work is relevant appropriate clinically reasoned um you know and we're not just going out every week to go and treat a horse because you know it puts money in our pocket because that's absolutely not what we do um you know we need to show that our treatment is effective and that's why we sort of underpin it by outcome measures um and so that we can show and we know where to refer back to if it's not working so one of the things that i noticed when when working with some of the riders I have, and, and to a lesser extent dog handlers um, over my career, is that it, it, it really I drew some parallels between some people that are in that atmosphere, sorry, in that culture. It reminds me a bit like where personal trainers will push their luck and stuff and say, oh, you know, go and see so-and-so. He's got a really interesting technique for that. And so there's then, at a CrossFit event, you've got someone who's then, chance in their arm to sort of manipulate a shoulder or to 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 oh, I can you can crack a back or whatever there's a, there's a bit of that that then can go on where so and so who's who's just a you know and and, and in in the defense i'm not meaning that they are you know they're sometimes not even charging for it or that they're just kind of known for it or it's only part of what they do but they'll sort of be a horse trainer that also will do a bit of jiggery poker or something yeah. like that so you can therefore i can understand how that happens but it also means that all those vulnerabilities we've just talked about with regards to legality governance etc that is why it can be a real wild west and so yeah. it's really interesting to hear what you're describing on that difference because that's a real relevant difference that the, the professionalism differential there is just enormous and that yeah. having having uh, you know, 
getting justice done when safety's breached, but also the disparity in quality of practice is going to be enormous. We talk about unwarranted variation, obviously, it's one of the words and phrases that's out of my mouth more than it should be, because that's an issue across the board. But then you're going to have that plus the safety aspect um, in, in, in your world, for sure. Um, I've got a couple of questions that have been posed by Jason over on LinkedIn. He's asked, uh, what what do you need as a qualification? So can we just cover that on the specifics? And then also then if you could do these in a, in a, in a duo, why do you need CSP registration? Which I suspect we've just, uh, we've just answered a bit of. Yeah. So, um, well, the qualification I have is that I've qualified as a, a you know, undergraduate as a human physio and then gone on and done a master's in veterinary physio um, on a technicality. Um, to get onto ramp, I believe you need level six, so equivalent of of a degree in veterinary physio. There are now um, degrees that just do pure veterinary physio, so you can go straight from your A levels to your veterinary physio. But you wouldn't be allowed to be an ACPAT member um, because obviously ACPAT is purely for chartered physios who have then specialised in veterinary mm. physio. Um, yeah. There's a couple of universities who do um, the, the masters course, so Liverpool and Hartbury are the ones that do. Um, masters in veterinary physio open to ACPAT members only they're both two-year part-time at the moment but Liverpool has just this year launched a 2022 yeah so from September is going to launch um, a year-long veterinary physio masters so full-time so from any of the um, any of the other universities anyone can go and do that add-on year but they have to have done their undergraduate training first and kind of you know those kind of things are promoting that we want people to take that route. Yeah, let's unpick. Let's unpick the why do you need CSP registration piece then, because that's what's interesting, right? So there's an there's an obvious example that I think has been answered, which is yeah. where the having a having a baseline in in human physiotherapy, which was oh. the only way in which you would qualify to be a CSP member, and then doing say matches masters, you know, future these yeah. or there's some future bachelors that you could do instead of or what have you. Um, that, that I can I can make sense of. There's, if someone was a human physio qualified HCPC register, but didn't choose to be a doesn't want to be a CSP member, what? But yet they are someone that is regulated for all the same in the same ways we've just described. Why yeah. does AGPAT make the distinction then? Why would that? What? Why is that chartership mattering in that instance? I think. I mean. <laughs> for the main part it's it's to kind of effectively give us the stamp out in our field do you see what i mean like we right. are members of the charter society of physiotherapists that you know it, it's our stamp if you like that we mm. need we are human physios and we are regulated human physios i think to, to then kind of just say well we're hcpc registered you know it's already so unbelievably confusing for horse owners dog owners kind of what acronyms you can have and what you need and um that to, to keep ACPAT as being the longest standing one um, mm. which is why we kind of keep with the, the CSP membership mm. yeah no I can I can understand that I think it's, it's challenging especially we heard from a lot of people including a few granted only a few compared to the hundreds uh, when, when the CSP put their fees up and stuff and so people were evaluating their position yeah. and I think that that's where the 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 case the case for it and the case for having 
a relevant distinction mark, which is what chartership brings you there, I can I can sort of really understand. And then also trying to make sure you differentiate from people that are otherwise unqualified. Uh, you know, I, I get it. I think that that's where, unfortunately, the argument is is weaker is where people have decided that they don't feel that CSP membership is worth the money, yet they still might value what the work that ACPAT does and also might be a really credible therapist that's not yeah. uh, that, that has all the relevant qualifications is regulated for the same safety governance that we've described you know, I do I do feel for that and understand that that is an edge issue that you know I can, I can understand both sides of that for sure and I, I you yeah. know it's not as if I'm trying to poke a bruise there but I think that compared to when people make those arguments in in human physio I find that to be really I find that wanting for various reasons um, that this doesn't apply to. You know, I find that wanting because it's it's something that the the distinction is is just a word, an abuse of a word. Whereas in yours, it's aspiring to differentiate from an you know an absolute wild west where there's no protection of title or the protection of title doesn't wash. And so you therefore that that is not just a word, it's actually sort of it's more than just symbolism. So I think you know I do I am sympathetic to that for for sure. What's um what's the let's just wrap up then by clarifying what the obvious access route is and what you feel either personal or as ACPAT you would recommend for those that yeah. are chartered physiotherapists that then are interested in in um, animal physio being part of their career in the future. I mean, the access routes at the moment are the, the Masters at Hartbury or Liverpool, as I say, the two-year part-time courses um, or a single year from Liverpool at the moment. Um, they would be the routes that we would go for for, for chartered physios. The other courses, um, it's not to say that, you know, some of the practitioners that are, are coming out of those courses are bad because they're not. You know, there are good practitioners, sure. absolutely. Um, but, um, you know, as a... As a physiotherapist, you know, human physio, then absolutely that would be the way to go because, you know, why wouldn't you want to still um, be regulated and show that you're kind of doing best practice and, and aiming for the top and gold standard, which is sure. what we want. Sure. And, and also in terms of an attractive career proposition, that horse and horse and rider, dog and handler, well, I want to, you know, what, what a lot of fun. Uh, especially as yeah. someone who's, 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 you know, I'm not in that, I'm not in that world, and they're not my hobbies. But having known people close to me that are, what, what, what an exciting balance yeah. to freshen um, things up as well. It's not just, you know, the kind of, you know, if they've had an injury or a fall, it's the performance optimization part. You know, if yeah, you tweak okay. something slightly on the rider, you know, you change the way they're moving slightly, then how much that impacts the horse. Absolutely. No, it's a really, it's a really, really interesting point. I remember working with uh, in circumstances, both in MSK and in neuro circumstances, where you've got changes to people's, say, you know, pain or injury or even tone and spasticity of their adductors. And it's something that in many other circumstances doesn't matter so much. But if they're altering the way in which they squeeze the horse, you know, it's a, it's a game changer. And, and I it, it is, yeah. I learned a lot from 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 uh, you know veterinary physios like yourself uh, on that, which was which was fascinating. So really appreciate it. Now we're going to get stuck into some of that detail with regards to what is or isn't on a course. You know how human uh, physio academically um, can really support that process and why ACPAT suggests what it suggests with your colleague 
Gillian Taboa, I might be pronouncing that wrong, uh, but um, we're doing that next month uh, as another act that's special. So that's going to be really cool. So we'll get into that if people are interested and wish we'd have gone a bit deeper into the nitty gritty there, then don't worry, we've got that to come. So thank you though so much today, Fiona. Just remind people where they can find that crap and what they should do with regards to say website, Twitter handles, that sort of gubbins. Yeah, so um, ACPAT is literally, um, ACPAT as it sounds, A-C-P-A-T, ACPAT.org. And then you can put on the ACPAT website, you can put in find a physio. So you can put your postcode in and you'll find kind of the most local ACPAT physio um, and what they treat. So whether they just specialise in small animals, large animals or anything else. Brilliant. So I've just thought I'd be clever and typed a URL in and then got it wrong in my first one to typo. So apologies for that. www acpat.org um, do click on that if you notice it on the feed or visit it um, and do reach out to us as well if you want us to signpost any of your questions comments or suggestions we'll get them over to Fiona and the rest of the ACPAT gang we'll do tune in next month for another ACPAT special really interested to be learning more in this direction and uh, and I really am keen to sort of promote and encourage people especially with regards to that safety-related governance. I mean, can't think of anything that, uh, that's a more worthy ethical cause in this space as well. So uh, anything we can do to sort of try and make you guys, uh, our audience, aware of this, as well as then, you know, the retraining opportunities that I think many of you will be interested in. So thank you so much for your time today, Fiona. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I know we've had a few little bits of tech issues. I bet your arm's sore. I think you're holding your phone there, aren't I'm you? I'm holding my phone. So I'm you've done really well. Really appreciate it. So yeah, uh, take care. And for the rest of you, I'm afraid I was going to do a show tomorrow, but I'm going to be traveling. I'm just a bit risky. It's a bit risky with regards to signal and stuff. So uh, I, owe you, I will owe you a show about um, knee pathologies, serious knee pathologies, red flags of the, of the knee type stuff. Uh, I will do that either. I, if I get around to pre-recording it today, I'll get someone to play it tomorrow during the normal show slot. But otherwise, uh, apologies, that show won't be going ahead tomorrow. But I'll see you otherwise next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care.